Some of you might know who the great evangelist of America, D.L. Moody, was. Maybe you don't, but he was uh, an evangelist who really rocked the American continent, but he also had the opportunity to go to England and be able to uh, make waves there for Jesus. Thing is, D.L. Moody was sort of a, a backwoodsy kind of guy. He didn't have the best of English language. And when he went to um, Cambridge uh, in England for some big meetings with the students there, there was a lot of pushback because here he was as a backwoodsy, uh, sort of a culturally incorrect, um, uh, not having proper English, and he definitely didn't, uh, speaking to this very cultured, finessed kind of crowd. In fact, there was pushback with the student body, and some of them uh, said that they were going to uh, disrupt the meetings. They did not want this uh, man who couldn't speak very well and maybe even what he said. So they were going to hoop and holler and, and do a, a lot of cattail calls and just be disruptive. Ira Sankey was the song person for D.L. Moody. And he stood up there at Cambridge and he began to sing. And he sang a beautiful song that sort of put them all back in their seats, especially this particular pocket of young men who were going to be disruptive. And D.L. Moody slipped up on stage right after Ira Sankey sang. And uh, in his awkward, kind of pushy, blunt way, they paused and they were enraptured by the song and that his presence was there. And he simply said to them, young gentlemen, Don't let anybody ever tell you that God don't love you, for he do. And they were taken back by his improper English, but he spoke it again. Don't let anybody ever tell you that God don't love you, for he do. And one of the young men that was in that pocket of people he was so struck by that that he, he walked out of the meeting and he began to contemplate. Why is it that I do not accept God's love for me? Why am I in active rebellion pushing back against him? And it will be later in that week through some of those meetings that he himself actually joined together with D.L. Moody and he prayed to receive Christ into his life and to live for him. That man went on to be a rector of an Episcopal church. But it's striking, isn't it, that God can take common ordinary people such as a D.L. Moody in improper English to be able to, to, to put a line into the soul that can change your heart. And maybe some of you, maybe you're that individual today that needs to know this. Don't ever let anybody tell you that God don't love you, for he do. We're talking about God's love today, but we're also talking about the way that our world is concerning what that love is and how there's defiant pushback and catcalls on it even. That John 3, 16 verse that was just referenced, you know it. Let's say it together. You ready? Here we go. For God so loved the world. We'll start again. You need a bigger, stronger on that because that's the first part of it, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. How many of you have seen or heard that verse before? You got it? How many of you had that verse memorized? How many of you used that verse with other people, right? Well, don't let anybody tell you that God don't love you, for he do. And right there it is. John 3, 16, for God so loved. It comes from God, love does. And our world needs to know that God loves them, and you need to know that today. It's a simple, straightforward message, and it's a message for all people that whosoever, put your name right there, whosoever, the person you're really struggling with in their lifestyle right now, maybe you're tired of being their friend, put their name there. That family member that seems to be obstinate in your life, put their name there. You can be 
assured of this day in and day out, that God loves everyone. And whoever would choose to believe in him, their life can be changed and transformed because he sent his one and his only son. Now, who sort of pinned those words down in John? John 3.16 is referenced by the person who wrote the Gospel of John, who is John, the Apostle John. And we in these weeks have been looking at his letter to Christians when he was 90-some years old, and he is still on the same theme. In 1 John, as we've gone through these weeks of studies, we've said that uh, John's not quite like the Apostle Paul who had this sort of structure order kind of thing. And uh, John would sort of keep circling around to some themes over and over again in this letter to the Christians at that time. Themes of fellowship, staying in community, themes of truth, the need for truth and righteousness. We looked at that some last week. But here in this part of the letter, in John 1 John 3, he begins to transition back around to this theme of love. And it's not something that he's unfamiliar with. Remember this, John was a rough guy. He was a fisherman originally. Him and his brother were known as the sons of thunder. You know why? Because he would push back. They would push back. They would call people out. They, they were sort of harsh John and James, you know, one time they were told to prepare the way for Jesus to come into a village, and the village sort of rejected the entrance, and, and, and John came back to Jesus, and you know what he asked? He says, what do you want us to do? You want us to call fire down on these people? But John today, two millenniums later, is known as the apostle of love. He referenced himself when he wrote his gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He didn't even want to put his name in there. Paul's the one who wrote the great love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. But it's John who's known as the apostle of love. And why is that? Because God changed the heart of John. And he moved him from a, a rough heckler kind of person. Can't you just see that happening today? All the heckling and the pushback trying to drown out truth like D.L. Moody was up against. But he got a hold of that message because he saw it in the life of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection, that God loves him. And it changed his life. The two most powerful emotions and forces in our world today, do you know what they are? Love and hate. What do they make all the movies about? Love and violence or hate, right? It's somewhere it's interwoven in there, intertwined in there. The idea that love is something we should, God's love in particular, is something we should just become complacent about is not true. It's what the world needs to change people's lives. The title today is simply Friend or Foe. Friend or Foe because we see this going on. Friend or Foe to God, Friend or Foe to one another. Love and hate, two powerful emotions. And in the passage that we're going to look at today, you're going to find John again in his letter unpacking this, unpacking this. Will you turn with me to John chapter 3, verse 11 through 18? And I'm just going to have us again, like we did last week, just sort of read through this section to receive it, sitting underneath the Word of God to hear it without us going to slide yet and looking at the verses in particular, just listen to these words from this letter. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. You should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised by my brothers and sisters. If the world hates you, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. 
This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. First John, as he takes this turn to the theme and the subject of love, and he'll be wrestling with in the immediate sections ahead for us, he says this, For this is the message we heard from the beginning. Now he said that also in the first chapter. It's always referencing back to the beginning. Here he is, an older man. He's, he's saying, man, we've been at this a long time. Christians, where are you going? Come back to me here. Don't go off in false belief or narrative or wayward living for God. He says, let's remember what the message was we heard from the beginning. And the message heard from the beginning by the disciples of Jesus Christ was a message of love. Jesus did not come with all the armor, the guns and the weapons to establish a material, physical reign the first time. He's coming back the second time and he'll establish a physical reign. But the first time he came and established the reign of God afresh and anew for the hearts and lives of people. And that message from the beginning was a message of love. Maybe you know this, but in the Islamic faith, they have all kinds of words for God or Allah. But not one adjective that's used in the Islamic faith for God equates to the word love. The word love, describing who God is, for God is love, John will say later, is the heart of the message. Now, a lot of times we think that our ability to love one another comes out of our own being, that we choose to love someone, or we fall into fondness with someone, or like, or our kids, we just love our kids, maybe even have a pet that you love, that love is something that we come up with, that we muster, and we put into action. But that's not true. You could have been created without any ability to love. But you're created in the image of God, and being made in the image of God, God is love. Love, the ability to love, is from God. And so being able to surrender to that on a regular basis, like he's exhorting in this section of his letter, is critically important. But you can't love one another, you can't love others, unless you've experienced the love of God. You know, wait a second, Carrie, let's, let's pause on that. Are you saying that Christians have a monopoly on being able to love? No. All mankind's made in the image of God. Even though we live in a sinful, defiant state at times, being made in the image of God, we have the ability to love. So Christians and non-Christians, atheists, can genuinely love people. But to genuinely love people, you have to understand where it comes from. Because there's something that happened with the love of God going back to the very Garden of Eden that got twisted and turned. And that's why it's interesting after saying, for this is the message we have heard from the beginning, you should love one another. He pulls out the illustration of Cain. Now, when God created mankind, who was the first person created? Adam, I'm glad you're still with me, that's good. You might have the second answer. Who was the second human being created? Eve was made out of a rib, right? So we have Adam and Eve in the garden. But a lot of people, and they would struggle to go, who's next? Who were the first two people born to Adam and Eve? Cain and Abel. Do you know much about Cain and Abel? We don't have a lot of time to park there, but he comes and he gives reference to Cain and Abel. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. John pauses and he deals with this reality. How powerful is the great of love? the great love of God. But then you look at the world and you go, but what about all the hate? 
and you see it. People jockeying positions, trying to get their own thoughts, their own group here there. It's, there is intense battle in our world over love and hate. goes back to the garden. God did not create hate. He did not create evil. But because he allowed the freedom to choose, because the freedom to love somebody is far more powerful than being forced to love someone, right? Did you have an arranged marriage? Any arranged marriages in here? Sometimes I think arranged marriages... Yes, Pastor Zach, I I saw that hand there in the back. (laughs) Zach's mom and Josh's mom, uh, Josh's wife, who uh, you saw up here, they arranged that first date, but that was not an arranged marriage. Okay, you throw me off with that hand. Arranged marriages, and they do work a lot in other countries. Some people probably would have been better with an arranged marriage than the one you picked. I don't know. But the freedom to choose to love someone is what makes love powerful. But that freedom of choice allowed for disobedience. And somewhere in the eons of time, we gave reference to this with the archangel Lucifer. He chose to think that he needed to be worshipped rather than God himself. Lucifer fell from heaven as an archangel. He became the devil, Satan. And he is the author of hate. He's the author of hate. And you know the story of Adam and Eve and the temptation, right? That here's a freedom to do everything, but stay away from that tree in the center of the garden because there were certain uh, really big-time God-responsible reasons why. But they chose to defy God, and they ate of the fruit, right? And it brought brokenness. It brought sin into this beautiful world that God had created where God walked with them in the garden. And ever since then, God's on a restoration path to that, even into eternity with a new heaven and new earth. But what happened with the next generation? Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel were seeking to to be God people, and, and, and an offering was requested, and Abel offered the offering of, of, of a firstborn, of a sacrificial animal, but, but Cain, he, he didn't think through all that and how he could get the animal, because he did a lot of grain, so he offered grain, and then it was an unrighteous offering, and everything started to collapse, and, and like it said here, all of a sudden, out of the blue, here's Cain, and he goes and he murders his brother Abel. With an axe, a blow to the head, the blood crimsoning the ground from the very beginning. The two most passionate feelings, love and hate. Now, do you think Cain specifically contemplated this and toyed with it? I'm going to do away with him. No. Why did Cain kill Abel? Not because Abel did something wrong, but because he was righteous and did something good. Jealousy, whatever you may think uh, that came into play in that moment of that hideous act, hate moved Cain to murder. And John references that Cain, who belonged to the evil one, Oh my gosh, he almost had horns coming out of his head when he did that, right? No, no. He he allowed the lack of God's love moving in and through his life and the jealousy and the fallenness of sin and everything that came from the fall to so grip his life as if he was in the control of the evil one. We're going to be hitting it more in a couple weeks, but you've got to go behind the scenes, friends. You live in a natural world. But you know what? You also live in a supernatural world. There is a spiritual realm around you. And that spiritual realm has angels. That spiritual realm also has fallen angels, dark angels, as they sometimes say, demonic spirits. There is a spiritual world in which we live, and we have to reckon with it. And John doesn't hold back. He didn't hold back from it when we looked at it last week of the the world, the flesh, and the devil. And he talked about the devil and the devil's works. Here, he's accusing Cain of being of the evil one. Did he give allegiance? All right, serpent, Satan, Lucifer, whoever you are, I'm now going to follow you. No, he allowed 
the sin in his heart to move him away from love and move him to hate in that defiant act. We have the challenges, not only in our culture, but we have the challenges in our own personal life. Have you ever deeply loved someone and then you had a falling out and you started to move into resentment and bitterness, maybe even a vindictive spirit? Oh, not the murder kind of thing, but man, you just had a haughtiness towards them. Sometimes it's, hey, I don't want to be around them because of what the remembrance is or you haven't fully reconciled and forgiveness extended, but there's something in you that doesn't wish them well. Satan sits back and he gloats. Because in that moment, we're moving away from the God who is love to him, Satan, who's the author of evil, hatred, corruption, vindictiveness, indifference, defiance. And all that's a part of his realm begins to gain its tentacles within us. And we begin to respond to others in an inappropriate way. Friends, I'm living this just like you're living it. Week in and week out, sometimes I'm pleased with how I've journeyed through a week. There's other days when I'm disappointed at how I've journeyed through the week. I journeyed through this week pretty good. On the heels of our son being in ICU for a whole week, and he's, he's good, and he's headed to recovery with some blood clot issues. But, you know, then there were some other things that just started to hit the fan. And one of them actually had to do with this facility and getting, getting some uh, uh, building permit approval and things. And, and I found my spirit becoming indignant and upset. And the building inspector was just trying to do his job, right? Don't worry about that whole scenario. It'll work its way out, hopefully, tomorrow. But it's like, why do I get in those kinds of emotional states it's because, friends, you and I are in a battle every day between this powerful emotion of love and this powerful emotion of hatred that comes. But if we are to see the day through, we have to acknowledge the root of it. And the root of it is the one who offered it. Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, the world hates you. D.L. Moody, on that day, he could have pushed back and said, Why don't you all shut up, you young men? You don't know what you're talking about. But he said, Don't let anybody ever tell you that God don't love you, for he do. He stayed on the theme and the focus of love, living love out before them in all that he did. He was saved from a, a rougher kind of background. You need to stay in the stream of God's love. Because the world will hate you, it'll oppose you. And if you have challenges in loving other people, then you need to ask yourself, where is the love of God at in your own life? Have you crossed that and received God's love in your own life? Do you need to reckon on it again this week? Like, I needed to reckon, God loves me, it's fine. He'll work things out. Verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. An atheist, a non-believer, someone who's not crossed the line of faith and become a Christ follower, they can love without question. And sometimes they love better than even us who uh, claim to be the one who follows the God of love. But there's something remarkably different passing from death to life when you commit your life to Jesus Christ. When you commit your life to Jesus Christ, the one who laid down his life comes in your life. He is more resident, and there's powerful, pure love. You know what happened in the garden with God's love? It got twisted. It got turned. God's love is pure. He loves, period. In spite of our sin. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Scripture says. But what happened to love, it got twisted in our world. And normally, love today has a self-centered root to it. We love someone because of a relationship we have with them and what they can bring to us. 
We love someone uh, for what they can maybe do for us. We love in an impure sense compared to God's love, which is pure. And what happens in our culture, in our everyday cubicles at work, or the people you hang with in your social arenas, is division and awkwardness can start to come because the love that we have has a self-interest point rather than being the pure love of God who loves out of the essence of His deity and who He is in eternity. And so we have to watch this, and that's what happened with Cain and Abel, right? Cain allowed a self-centeredness to, to gain a root in him. And the love he should have had for his brother rose up in an anger and a rage and eventually brought about that murder. And we have to checkmate that we stay in the life side and not the death side of our existence. And if you've not crossed from death to life, then I would say this, yes, you're able to love, but it's not with the love purity that God can bring into your life to love even the unlovable people around you. So cross from death into life. Receive the love of God in your life. He do love you. And He's able to help you love others. And then you stay anchored in that life side so that you can love one another. Because it says right here, John's just pinning it. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Not that you haven't become a Christ follower or become a Christian or received God's love in your life at one particular time, but you're resubmitting yourself to the one who is the author of hatred and evil, and that is the evil one. You're slipping back into that world, and you can't stay there. Do not remain in that death. That's not you. The new you is to be able to love and care for those people. Could I just ask you, I won't tell you to put it on a card today. Who is someone you have a hard time loving? Maybe you need a couple cards. They're just not very lovable. And so you hear this nice platitude from Scripture, you know, God is love, love one another. By this all men will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another, Jesus said, you go, ah, can I sort of qualify that? No. We're in a spiritual battle in the spiritual realm. Love and hate moving its way back and forth at every turn. If you stay in the sight of death, you will not be able to love with the purity love that God gives to you. There can be examples in your own life. There's all kinds of examples, is there not, throughout history. The history that goes back all the way even to Cain and Abel. I put before you pictures of two men, Japanese and American fighter pilots. World War II, beginning with Pearl Harbor and the Japanese entrance. The man on the left, Mitsuo Fushida, and Jake DeShaza. Any of you ever heard about these two men? Their life came to an intersection. But it's interesting because um, Fushida, he was a Japanese fighter pilot. And you know what? He was the first pilot that flew in to Pearl Harbor in Hawaii and gave the thumbs up for everyone that was following him to bomb. So he declared the, the battle cry, Toro, 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 Tiger, Tiger, Tiger. And they came swooping in, sank. How many different kinds of ships? Destroyers, cruisers, 2,400 Americans lost their lives in Pearl Harbor. December 7, 1941. We come around and we commemorate it. This year we'll commemorate it in a bigger way, right? Because of the, the uh, decade anniversary of it. He became a hero back in Japan. In fact, he was allowed to even go to the emperor who everybody worshipped, right? And he gave the account. 
Deshaza was a part of the fighter pilot crew that the president sent in the Doolittle battle to bomb in Tokyo. He was so mad about what happened at Pearl Harbor. He hated Japanese people. And so he was with this crew and they let go of their bombs and they were supposed to go and land in free China at that time, but he didn't make it. And he was taken as a prisoner by the Japanese. And he endured tremendous hardship as a prisoner in Japan. And one of the reasons was because he was so defiant and angry, everybody was scared of Deshaja. Jake was mean and arrogant. He would give pushback. He would yell. He would complain. He was rough. They put him in solitary confinement for most of the time. But something began to work in Deshaza's heart. And he was able to have a Bible, and he began reading through the Bible. Began reading about the life of Jesus all over again. He'd had some church background from his parents, but never owned it. God changed his heart. And Jake Deshaza not only came to know Jesus Christ, but when he was freed from that prison after the war ended, he became an evangelist and he began to share about being a Japanese prisoner. And he would go around and share his faith and what God had done because he radically changed his heart and the compassion. In fact, so much so that he and his wife ended up becoming missionaries in Japan. If you read his story, and you can read it if you just Google those names and you'll start to find your way through the stories. He remembers going out underneath the Golden Gate Bridge with his wife, shipping off to Japan to be missionaries, where he was a missionary for close to three decades. And he recalled when he was the young airman shipping out through that same gate and the hatred he had when he went underneath the Golden Gate Bridge, but now the love that he had that he would go to the very people that he hated to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, the story of Deshaza got written in a little track in a little book. And the Japanese guy, Fushida, he somehow came across the track or the story of Deshaza, and he was taken back how could someone change so much? How could someone who had every reason to be defiant and angry about what happened to him in prison because he wasn't fed, he became a skeletal structure kind of thing, how, how could you have a change of heart? That's just radical like that. And Fashid at the time, he, he was, was having so many questions in his own heart about really what the world's doing and, and what meaning and purpose could be in his own life. And somehow he found his way to a New Testament. And he began to read through the New Testament. And he came to the place where Jesus is hanging on the cross and Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he's like, how could somebody do that? Well, as the story unfolds, this Japanese pilot who was the lead bomber at Pearl Harbor gave his life to Jesus Christ. And Jesus, the love of God, came into his life and radically changed who he was. And he too became an evangelist, somebody who shared the gospel with his people and with others. He lived in the States for a while. And the picture in the middle is these two men getting together and sharing God's story in their life. Don't let anybody tell you that God don't love you, for he do. And God's love can change the hardest of hearts. And God's love can change your heart, the heart of your spouse, the heart of your children, the heart of your friends. But you have to move from death to life. And in moving from death to life, it then says, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. It's a warning that we stay on the side of life and not allow death 
and a vindictive, even murderous spirit to gain a root. Because that's not where eternal life resides. Oh, for the day, do we not long for it, when Satan will have been destroyed. When all wrongs will have been made right. When God truly will fulfill that phrase, I am making all things new. The new heaven, the new earth, imperishable bodies. We won't have to watch news stories like we watch them today. God's love will fully and richly abound, wiping every tear from the eye and establishing in his day. But today, we live between those times of his first and second coming, as we often state, and we are in a battle, a spiritual battle. It's a battle of death and life. It's a battle of love over hate. Where are you at in allowing the love of God in your life and the love of God then to be expressed to others? Live in the light of eternity. He goes on and he says in verse 16, this is how we know what love is. What is love? What what is the essence of love? What does it look like? You've referenced the origins of love. What's the essence of love? And he just calls it out. Jesus Christ did lay down his life for others. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus Christ laid down his life for others, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? It's not only the origins of love and the essence of love, it's the actions of love that need to start giving evidence to the heart that has been changed, that's no longer living in death, but it's living in life. Not just one moment in time for a short season after you became a believer in Jesus, but every single day and hour of your life. Impossible to do, you say, that's true. Left to yourself and your own fallen nature, me left to myself and my fallen nature, the ways of the world that keep bantering in my ears and the adversary who has direct attacks, left unto the natural course of life, I cannot love on a daily, moment-by-moment basis. But as I yield to the love of God that's in me, I can. And that love begins to take over and change the attitudes and actions as surely as those two fighter pilots. You can find your way to a place where you are able to give richly to brothers and sisters that are in the faith of like stripe and those who are your enemies. It's a challenge. Christians today are accused of being judgmental, being hypocrites. We can give a lot of pushback on accusations that are thrown our way. But friends, we need to let the love of God demonstrate through our lives and let our actions change as much as our words. People will be defiant. They may hate you to their dying day but you still choose to love them and offer in actions to show them the love of God. That's why he ends this little section that we're looking at today. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. See, we went back a few years there to talk about the Two fighter pilots in World War II. Let me stay sort of in that era of time. There was a guy by the name of Arthur or Art Katz. Art Katz was an American author who traveled the world. He was a teacher. He had Jewish parents, but he was an atheist. Let me read this account a little bit to get the details to you. The young Jewish convert, Arthur Katz, He taught in the public schools in Berkeley. He was raised as an atheist, even though he was a Jewish descent. Early in his life, he became a Marxist and a committed communist. He was always a left-wing radical, a troublemaker, at the heart of every uprising that was going on. 
At the close of World War II, he happened to be in Germany with the American army and personally saw the gas chambers of the Holocaust. He came away from them shocked and sick at heart and filled with hatred, first towards the German race and then realizing that this was not merely a national problem but a human problem, he was filled with an all-pervading sense of disgust and loathing for the whole human race. He came back to Berkeley and he tried to give himself to education. But more and more he realized that education was not the answer. Education could not change hearts. Education could not and did not touch the basic problems of the human beings. Finally, he gave it all up and resigned his position. His wife lost her mind and was put in a mental institution. Divorced, footloose, and fancy free, he went out to wander up and down the face of the earth, hardly knowing where he was going. One rainy, wet day, he was in Greece, hitchhiking. With a week's growth of beard upon his face and a dirty rucksack on his back, standing in the wind and the rain, thumbing for a ride, of course no one wanted to pick him up, he stood there for hours when at last a big Cadillac came by and stopped. To his amazement, the man did not merely open the door and gesture for him to get in. He got out of his car, came around and began to pump his hand and to welcome him as though he was some kind of royalty. He took the dirty rucksack and threw it in uh, on the clean upholstery. Art said he winced himself when he saw that. Then the man invited him to get in the car, and they drove on. The man treated him as though he was a welcomed guest. Art Katz could not understand this. He was taken to a hotel, and the man bought him a room and cleaned him up and gave him some food. Sort of like a modern-day Good Samaritan, huh? Finally, he asked him, what he was doing, and where he was going. There came pouring out of this young Jewish atheist all the pent-up heartache, misery, and resentment of his life. He told him the whole thing, just pouring it all out. The man sat and listened. And when he was all through, he, he spoke one sentence. He said, you know, Art, what the world needs? Those who are willing to wash one another's feet. Or Kat said, I, I never heard anything more beautiful than that. Why, why do you say that? And the man said, because that's what my Lord did. For the first time in this young atheist's life, he heard the quit Christian witness that was from the beginning through the actions of one whose heart was filled with the love of God. And Art Katz, who was so di discouraged, distraught, indignant about the hatred and the brokenness he saw in his world, God began to speak to his heart and in his life. He was arrested with the love of God that broke through all the years of hatred, all the pent-up resentment and bitterness in his heart through one act of kindness which manifested in an apparently undeserving young man a genuine curiosity and the kindness that he saw from this one named Jesus Christ. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That is the path of love. If life is there, that kind of love will be there. Little children, let us not love in mere words. You know, the Apostle Paul in his great uh, chapter on love in 1 Corinthians, you remember what he said? If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels and have all these incredible gifts, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. So that's my simple exhortation. I didn't need to rewrite it in some pithy kind of statement for us to walk out of here with. It's right there in Scripture. It's right there in Scripture. Dear children, men and women, young and old of the awakening, 
Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. That's what God wants you to know today. Can I ask you, what does God want you to do this week? A simple act of kindness. Art Katz ended up coming to place his faith in Jesus Christ. He became someone who used his education to speak in the educational world. He wrote a book and he traveled and he spoke because the love of God changed him from death to life. And we cannot take away all the hatred in our world, whether it's indifference, where it's prejudice, racism, whatever it may be. We can't take it away or force it away. There's no education. There's no law. There's no sense of moral code that can be thrown out to people. The only way we move away from it begins in our own heart when we move from death to life with the love of God that's pure, that's not a self-centered love, and we begin to extend that love to one person at a time. Let us not love with mere words or speech, but with actions and in truth. That's what you need to know today for these moments we've gathered. I don't know what you need to do. But the Holy Spirit, if you've gone from death to life, lives within you, and he knows. Be sensitive to his voice and walk that path. You never know where it might end. And changing someone who is the most vile, indifferent, unlovable person into someone who's transformed and changed by the love of God. And here we are in the middle of the summer of 2021, post-COVID, putting pieces back together, many people traveling online, we gather to encourage one another with God's Word, but not just in Word only, but with the active presence of the Spirit working through our life to be obedient to Him. You know, we've brought a few things back during the COVID run. We're going to bring something else back this morning, and that is we normally... uh, Just say, hey, you can give online, you can drop your gifts to God in a basket on the way back. We've gone away from passing a a basket for receiving not only the Lord's offerings, but also any connect cards, any responses that you might have. And we're going to do that this morning, and probably more so for me as a pastor, the connect cards, even though it's an opportunity for you to place an offering in it. But as some of the people come to receive that, I want you to write on the back of your Connect card if you need to commit your life to Christ or if you need to grow spiritually. If you want to come to our newcomer thing, write the newer newcomer on there. Love to see it at our house on July 18th. But men, come forward and they're going to receive um, the Lord's tithes and offerings as well as your Connect cards this morning and just pass it with the gaps that are here today a little bit around. But when they receive this gift in a basket, even maybe receiving a response from you on a commitment card or a, uh, hey, a willing to serve, you are stepping outside of your comfort zone of being a self-centered person. You're giving your first fruits to God as an act of worship. You are giving to Him your life or renewing your heart and have an interest in spiritual things, or maybe there's a prayer request you wrote on there, and you're offering up to Him your petition. Maybe it's your initiative to get connected in community. Don't stay where you're at. I'm a farm kid. I used to have to paint a lot of fences when I was a little kid. And it always bothered me why the white post kept getting dull over the years. You'd paint them and paint would soak into it. You'd have to paint it, keep it fresh, keep it looking good. Friends, you cannot stay still as a Christian. You will become dulled, maybe even indifferent and embittered. If you do not allow the fresh painting of the Holy Spirit in your life, And I think one of the reasons we have received offerings, tithes and offerings, is not just to support God's 
great work here and around the world. Like we recently had some missionary offerings to support new Christian workers in other countries through the Alliance. But it's almost an action. I'm not loving just in words and deeds. I sang the songs, but I am giving. I'm giving sacrificially to God the first fruits of my life because all things are His. I'm giving to Him, stepping out of the shadows and coming in to say, I will serve in these areas. I'm giving to you my petitions and I'm praying for this person because I'm actively interceding. I'm going to take initiative with a life group, a newcomer connection, because I'm not going to be isolated anymore. The actions are varied. The Spirit's voice is specific as we go from here today in a spirit of worship. It's almost like I want to come back and sing that hymn that we had. I surrender all. All to Jesus. I now surrender. Actively do it every week, even every morning. Because the adversary is working against you to move you in directions of isolation, indifference, criticalness. You have to do actions. Loving Him, loving others in actions and deeds. He'll keep renewing your heart. And as we pass from this life on this earth to eternity someday, all things fully will be made new then. But you can make things new every morning, every Sunday by saying, I'm in. Will you stand with me? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you as we leave because the Spirit's voice may have not spoken to you here today. You're just glad you're free to be able to go find lunch somewhere and you can sit inside at a restaurant. I want to pray that the Spirit's voice speaks to you during the week. In the moment. Maybe shout and say, now is when you need to put love into action. You place your palms up if you feel free to do that. Let me just pray God's blessing over you. Now, Lord Jesus Christ, in your name, the name that's above every name, the name by which every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess, in your name, Jesus Christ, we come against the adversary, the one who seeks to bring hatred, discouragement, disappointment, indifference into our life. Satan, you have no rights whatsoever to mess with God's people today. And Satan, you have no rights to mess with those people that are in a journey to understand what it would be to have a relationship with you. So we bind you because of the finished work of the Calvary. And now, Lord Jesus, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be poured out into the hearts and the lives of people. Your word says, Lord, that you have poured out your love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom you've given us. And so I pray for a fresh pouring out of your Spirit upon the body of Christ here and those who are watching, and that we may love you not only with words and speech, but in action and in truth in all things. Go with us, abide with us as we serve you and love others this week. And God's people said, amen. If you would like to pray with someone, whether making a commitment to Christ or a need that you have, there's a prayer area over here with some prayer leaders. They'd be glad to do that. Have a great week. We'll see you back.